0: My dad wrote a lot of different things in this Bible and this particular your Bible, I was so thankful that in his own handwriting, he wrote at the back of the flyleaf, he wrote saved, December 18th, 1938. He was 16 years old. And then below that, he wrote baptized, April 8th, 1942. And then below that, he wrote song period. And I don't know if it was at the baptism or if it was just kind of his theme song. And then he wrote part of the line of it, song period. I'll live for him who died for me. And that's what my father did. Below that was the line, another line of, from, from a hymn, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last Well, do you write in your Bible? I don't know if you write in your Bible and have things that you like to write. I love it that there's still some papers in here that my dad used in his own handwriting, and I just like to look and see where he wrote things down. I don't know what you write in your Bible. I remember, not in this Bible, but in another Bible, when I was a little boy and I would look in my dad's Bible, he had written in the fly leaf a little saying that maybe you've heard before. It was this. This book will keep you from sin but sin will keep you from this book. You ever heard that? And uh, so I wrote that in the back of my Bible. This book will keep you from sin, but sin will keep you from this book. And that's what we want to talk about this morning, and we're focusing on the Word of God as we start 2019 by studying Psalm 119. And I invite you to turn there in your Bible this morning. It's right about in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. And we reminded ourselves two weeks ago that it's written in the form of an acrostic. It is written by, in the form of all of the... Uh, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The, the the writer took each of those letters. So beginning with what is there a aleph, and and then in each letter like a, then there are eight lines. Each line about the word of God. Each one beginning with an a, and then eight more lines that begin with the b of the Hebrew alphabet. Bet or Beth. And then each of those eight lines begin with a B and so forth. And there's 176 verses. And it's all about the word of God. And our challenge was, and our plan was to begin the first three Sundays of January, focused, focusing on Psalm 119 to begin our 2019, that we would be Bible focused, um, Bible saturated Christians. Well, we're going to just lop off one of those messages, and we're going to have two of those. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to be focusing on the sanctity of human life that we be thinking biblically in this world. And I meant to say earlier when I spoke that I wanted to thank any of you who went to the March for Life, and uh, we had not organized the trip this year, but if you went, thank you for representing uh, this area and the church. And um, some of us have already talked about next year making it a bigger priority to get a busload to go. So we'll do that the last Sunday of January. That's next Sunday already, isn't it? And then February, Lord willing, we're going to take the challenge and jump off the cliff and we're going to begin a study from the book of Hebrews. Our young people are, stud- are memorizing Hebrews and um, I just think that'll be good for me and good for you and good for our church at large to study the book of Hebrews. Maybe one of the lesser known of the epistles in our New Testament. But we're in Psalm 119 this morning, and uh, we are focusing on the Bible and the priority of Scripture and what the Bible means to us. And, and we're going to read now verses 9 through uh, 16, and this is the next eight verses. And, and it's all about how this book, the Bible, the Word of God, will keep us from sin. Very helpful. So let's read it, and then we're going to make some observations and then some applications, and then we'll go home and eat lunch. (laughs) Verse 9, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules or precepts of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your ways, and I will delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. So clearly the Word of God is the priority of the writer. We don't know who wrote Psalm 119. And let me remind you that if you, as you go through Psalm 119, if you have a Bible you'll write in, you can circle on every one of those lines, each of those eight statements about the Word of God under each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, the, the writer uses different descriptive terms for the Word of God. And so let's let our eyes go over the text that we've just read, and let's just remind ourselves of the different... ...adjectives that he uses to describe the Word of God. So how can a young man keep his way by guarding it according to your Word, verse 9? Let me not wander from your commandments, verse 10. I have stored up your Word, verse 11. Teach me your statutes, verse 12. All of your precepts are rules, verse 13. Your testimonies will be my delight, verse 14. I will meditate on your precepts, verse 15... On my, fix my eyes on your ways, verse 15b. 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word, 16b. So you can see how he lays out these words, these descriptive words. This is all about the word of God. For us, it's all about our Bible. And that the word of God is the transforming agent in our lives. It's, what's the, it's what the Holy Spirit uses to conform us to the image of Christ. It's our guide. And so let's take a look at this, and let's just take our notes, and if you enjoy filling in the blanks, and help, if that's helpful to you, I encourage you to do that, but let's sort of pretend we're a class with notes, and the teacher has handed out his notes, and we're going to make observations together about this section. we got 10 or 11 observations that are fairly evident, and they just kind of come right out at you. By the time we make these observations, I think we'll have a pretty good handle on what he's trying to communicate to us. Let's take a look at verse 9. The first thing that we see is that it opens with a question. The question is a good question. How can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't that a good question? It's a good question for a young man to ask himself. How can I keep my way pure? Young men tend to be rascals. They tend to be into trouble a little bit. And there's a number of issues that are innate to young men that can just steer them down the path that is not described as purity. And they can get involved and engaged in sin. And so the the writer is using a writing technique where he's writing uh, through the eyes of a father towards a son. And so notice the direct reference to a young man. Now be careful. You say, well, I'm a woman or I'm a girl. It doesn't apply to me. No, it's a writing technique. Let me... or an old man, but everybody in here, if, a, if you're a man, you say, oh, I'm a pretty young man. <laughs> young man. And whether you're a young man or an old man, you need help keeping your way pure, don't you? But let's think about how the book of Proverbs, for example, is written. That book is written um, by a father towards a son who's younger. And it's often that kind of directive father to son or older man to younger man. And yet, We encourage women to read it. We encourage old men to read it. We all want to read it. We all benefit. And so it's a writing technique, but the Word of God applies to all of us. So don't let that throw you as we open. But if you're a young man in the audience today, this message is particularly helpful to you. And it's a good question to start with. How can a young man keep his way pure? So the first thing we see that we observe letter A is it begins with a question, and it's a good question. But it answers it immediately. It gives the answer. Let her be right away. The immediate answer is a statement about the word of God. Look what he says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So he immediately holds up the Bible as the answer for a pure life. Now, when he says by guarding it according to your word, what is it? It is the way, right? How can a young man keep his way. What is his way? That's the way he lives. That's when he wakes up in the morning, all the decisions that he makes. It's the pathway that he takes that day. Everything about him, his choices, his decisions, his relationships, his priorities, everything about him, that's his way. How do you guard your way every day by taking heed according to the word of God? So we have the answer to this good question given to us immediately And it's a statement about the word of God. And then we read on a little bit. We see immediately that it's with his whole heart that he wants to seek God, that he would not wander from his commandments. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so what you see right away in the opening verses is that he's got this idea of the desire for a pure life, which means there's the possibility of living a life that is not pure, of making decisions that are outside of the commandments of God, outside of the precepts of God. And he sets up immediately that the answer to that is to submit and surrender and follow the Word of God. And so our third observation is that sin in this passage and the Word of God are positioned as polar opposites. There's the Word of God and there's sin, and the two don't come together. They don't mix. They're opposite. And in fact, if I'm involved in sin, he says right away, the answer is in the word of God. The answer is the priority of the word of God for me. And so I expect that the logic holds true and is consistent then that if I'm in the word of God, then I'm not going to sin. If I'm sinning, I'm probably not in the word of God. And if I'm in the word of God, I'm not going to sin. And so sin and the word of God are positioned in tension here. And you're supposed to see that. Fourthly, letter D, I want you to see that there is a repeated emphasis concerning wholeheartedness in this passage. Right away in verse 10, so he wants to guard his way according to the word, the end of verse 9. Then verse 10, with my whole heart, I seek you. So we recognize that he's all in on this thing. He's not just showing up for practice one or two days a week. He's all in. He's all in. And we saw this before in in the first section In 119 verse 2, look what it says. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. You see, a lot of the reason that we're not blessed, a lot of the reason that we don't get traction in living a pure life and having victory over sin is that we're not wholeheartedly into it. We've got pockets and departments and compartments and closets in our hearts that we're holding back. And the psalmist makes it clear right away. That there's an emphasis here, that if the word of God is going to help this young man overcome sin, he's got to decide that he's all in, that he really wants this, and that it's a wholehearted thing. Letter E, we recognize another observation. Fifthly, that there is an awareness concerning his capacity to fail. I think this is really important. I think this is really important. You see, uh, the Apostle Paul, we're reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Do you remember those verses something like this? Let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And he goes on to say, there's no temptation, but such as is common unto man. But God is faithful who will with the temptation provide a way to escape the temptation. But he begins that addressing the attitude of the heart. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. See, if you think you're not going to fail, you're setting yourself up for a fail. It's the person who worries about themselves that really is in a good spot. Then do you worry about yourself? I worry about myself. Man, I don't, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to do that. Kind of worried. Because why? Because I recognize within myself the capacity to fail. And the psalmist is, is spot on on that. Look what he says. He says, with my whole heart I seek you, do not let me wander from your commandments. He is aware that he could indeed wander from the commandments and probably has and probably does, but he doesn't want to, and that's his prayer. And so he is very aware of his capacity to fail. Letter F, clearly the word of God is presented here as the key to victory. As we read on, we recognize that the word of God is the key to victory over sin, that's why we started out with that saying from the flyleaf of my dad's Bible. This book will keep you from sin. Look what he says. Verse 10 again, with my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Then verse 11, many of you know this verse. It is probably one of the most familiar verses in Psalm 119. Many of you might have learned it like I did out of the King James Bible thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The ESV says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Obviously there, the word of God is the key. It sounds simplistic, doesn't it? And we all know this. Then why don't we pay attention to it? You want victory over sin? You want to keep your way pure? Then the word of God is the key. And notice what he says. I have I have hidden or I have stored up. I have, your Bible might say, I have treasured your word in my heart. The idea is stocking up. I've put it away. I have it within myself here. And this leads us to the whole concept then that he's presenting, that there is an emphasis on scripture memory in this passage. One of our observations is there's an emphasis on scripture memory. Now there is the lost discipline of the church. In the Christian life. I know that we have a bunch of quizzers here that are pretty crackerjack, and they're memorizing the book of Hebrews actually right now, and they will, and they are, and they're unbelievable. Um, in fact, we'll probably be using them through our Hebrew study to let them um, encourage us for scripture memory and let them quote some of Hebrews as we study it. But other than that, how many of us have really memorized a verse lately? How many of us, just on our own, are motivated to hide God's Word in our heart? I mean, we might have been to Awana or Olympians when we were kids, or we might be taking an EPBI class, and we have to memorize some verses for our quiz, but by and large, we might pray, we might read Proverbs or read a daily bread once in a while, but how many of us are disciplined at all about hiding God's Word in our hearts? And the psalmist here is saying clearly that I have treasured up your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against God. And I would say that that ought to be one of the ultimate concerns of every believer's life. How do I live in such a way that I don't sin against my God? And the psalmist says, you do it by hiding God's word in your heart. Let me illustrate this on sort of a corny way. So I got a really cool Christmas present It is, and I'm prepared today. It is the Kilimanjaro multi-tool. Very cool, ready-for-anything multi-tool. Let me show it to you, okay? It's really cool. So, no matter what happens, don't fear. I got my multi-tool, so you can whip it out. And I've got needle-nose pliers, and I've got dikes for cutting wire and things. and, And we can just do whatever you do with needle nose pliers. And, and then we've got a really sharp knife here that we can cut things with. And we've got Phillips head screwdriver and we've got regular head screwdriver. That's got a can opener, a bottle opener on it. And there's something else in there that I can't reach and, and a file and a saw. And there it is my multi-tool. Why? Why would you wear it? Because you don't know what you're going to encounter. You never know. You say, I'm ready though. I've got my multi-tool and no matter what happens, I can fix it. I can address it. I can take care of it. And somebody else says, man, that's nothing. I got my toolbox, man. I got a whole toolbox full of tools. Okay, fine. You walk around all day with your toolbox. (laughs) You're going to walk around all day with your toolbox? You can do that if you want. Who's going to walk around all day with their toolbox? I got, I got everything I need in my toolbox. Yeah, walk around with your toolbox. Go ahead. I got my Kilimanjaro multi-tool right here on my belt. Well, it's the same thing with Scripture memory. Scripture memory is our, is our multi-tool on our belt that comes handy because the first reason why we would bother with Scripture memory and the benefits... See if I can close this without bleeding in front of everybody here. <laughs> And put it back here where it belongs so that I have it. So everybody's more at ease now in this service since I have my. Don't worry about what's gonna happen. I got my Kilimanjaro multi tool knife made in China. <laughs> Why bother with scripture memory? Because of the benefits. And I just illustrated the first benefit. First of all, instant availability. Instant availability. That was the whole point. You're going to walk around? Okay, yeah, go ahead. I got, you got your toolbox. you got your big study Bible. you got your Strong's Concordance. Or maybe you got some kind of program on your phone. You can walk around with your toolbox all day. And, and if you have a need, you can look it up or speak into your phone. Let me. Fi- no, you know what? But if you got your multi-tool ready to go, you can just whip it out and you can make it happen. That's Scripture memory. Scripture memory is being ready and available for whatever the situation or the circumstances are. Then there's Scripture stored up, and you're instantly ready to go because we find ourselves in all kinds of scenarios every day, don't we? I recall an illustration that I read that that stuck in my mind years ago from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. Charles Swindoll was a prolific author, radio speaker. He's he's still preaching in Texas. Um, He's in his 80s now. And he wrote a book that was very popular back in the 70s and 80s called Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. I believe it was in that book. It might have been in his "Strengthening Your Grip" book, but a couple of those books were widely known and widely used in our churches for studies on practicalities of the Christian life. And he was telling a story to this very point about why should we hide God's word in our hearts? And he talked about a personal experience where he was far away in a faraway city. Uh, and this is back in the late '70s or early '80s, and there wasn't instant communication. There wasn't the kind of accountability that we can have now where we stay in touch with home. And he was far away in like Toronto from Los Angeles. And and he had preached and he was weary at the end of his day. And he went to his hotel and he was all alone. And he got on the elevator and it started to go up and the elevator stopped and opened and there were some ladies of the night that got on with him. And they began to share with him their availability. And he said, there he was, alone, tired, far away from home. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? And he said immediately, he said immediately God's word started coming to his mind. And the scriptures that he had memorized began to come through his mind and he just was polite to them. I don't know what he said to them, but they figured out in a hurry that they had talked to the wrong guy. The Word of God was there. See, he had his multi-tool ready. He didn't have to dig in his toolbox. He was ready to go, ready to go. And so instant availability is one reason why we want to memorize Scripture. What do you have in the bank? What do you have in the well? If you haven't filled the well, there's just nothing there. Well, it's kind of a Bible verse I sort of know. Secondly, it's fodder for the Holy Spirit. Fodder, F-O-D-D-E-R, fodder for the Holy Spirit. It's, it's something for the Holy Spirit to, to use to feed us. It's like, it's like extra that the Holy Spirit can use. You see, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He touches the heart and mind of the man of God, the person of God. But if the Word of God isn't there, then the Holy Spirit is more limited And if you have filled your mind and your heart with the Word of God, then the Holy Spirit has a lot more to work with with you. Thirdly, I want you to see, it affects the renewing of the mind. It affects the renewing of the mind. We've filled our minds with all kinds of things. And many of us are driven in the area of electronics, and we're just feeding our brain continually with noise you got to change the way you think. Romans twelve one and 2 talks about by the renewing of our mind. It doesn't talk specifically there about Scripture or Scripture memory, but that's the obvious conclusion that it is the Word of God that He uses to renew us so that we will know the will of God in our lives. And so we want our minds to be re- being renewed. I remember when I was a youth pastor... Every once in a while some parent would drag their kid into my office by the ear and set him down and say, "You got to talk to Pastor Van. That's like as bad as it gets, you know. You got Pastor Van, take care of this boy. I'm done with him." Well, what's the problem here? He's been swearing at school. So all right, let me talk to him. So then we talk you know what? Well, it's just in my mind. It's, it, it's there, and I hear it all the time, and it, it just comes out, and I don't know how to stop, and it just wants to come out. So what are you going to do? I just can't stop. Sure you can. If I follow you around with a two-by-four, and every time you say a cuss word, I whap you upside the head, you'll stop cussing, right? But I'm not going to do that, and that's not going to work. That's an external motivator. They work, but they don't change the heart you got to want to have your whole heart committed to Christ, care about what God thinks, and then you're going to have to renew your mind. And the way you're going to have to renew your mind is you're going to have to start memorizing some scripture so that you can get this stuff out of your mind and you can refresh and renew and reprogram your mind. Fourthly, it's enhanced ability for meditation. Enhanced ability for meditation. Why memorize scripture? That's what we're talking about. Instant availability, Fodder for the Holy Spirit, the effect that it has on the renewing of the mind and an enhanced ability for meditation. And you know what you do. I was at the DMV the other day and it was fairly quick, but you stand in line or you're at McDonald's waiting. What do you do? You whip out your phone, don't you? Oh, yeah, man, the Mountaineers won one finally. That's good. Do so we fill our lives with everything? But we need to train ourselves that we have opportunity to meditate in our delays. You're standing in line, you're working on a scripture memory, maybe you have it written on a little card, you have it tucked in your pocket or in your wallet, like the size of a credit card, and you whip it out, or on your phone, bring up the scripture, and you have an opportunity to meditate on God's word, to to just kind of let it, let it just kind of roll around, and and just kind of ruminate, and just think about it, and let the word of God change your heart and your mind. Use those for opportunities. And if you have memorized scripture, no matter where you get caught in line or whatever, or you have a few minutes and you're not occupied, immediately you can discipline your mind to go to scripture memory and you can meditate on the word of God. And you say, oh, Pastor Van, that's not even realistic. Well, it's what he says. So you want, you want, to, you want to have victory over sin? How does a young man Purify his way by taking heed according to the word of God. And then he goes on to say, That I have hidden your word and treasured it up in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There you go. That's the motivation and just a little bit of encouragement for scripture memory. By the way, on the back of your notes there, I put, in light of young men and the application to young men that this passage has, I put 10 key passages that you could cut that out and then you could look them up on your phone or you could copy them word for word on a little card ten verses that every man ought to know about purity, specifically about purity and helping you with purity. There's other application as well. Letter H. Okay, so let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. We are making observations about the second eight verses under the letter B in the Hebrew alphabet, all about the Word of God here. And we're realizing that this passage is talking specifically about the Word of God giving me victory over sin. And we're making observations. It starts with a question. It's directed to a young man. It answers the question with a statement about the Word of God. We recognize that sin and the Word of God are intention in this passage. There's a repeated emphasis on wholeheartedness here. we got to be all in. We're aware of our capacity to fail. The Word of God is presented as the key to victory. There is an emphasis on Scripture memory that is obvious here. Letter H, then, there is an expectation of personal duty and responsibility. There is an expectation in this passage when you read it of personal duty and responsibility. Notice what he says. Let's let your eyes go to the scripture. Verse 10: With my whole heart, I seek you. Verse 11: I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 15: I will meditate on your precepts. It's a given. In 15b, I will, then he says, fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 16, I will delight in your statues. Verse 16b, I will not forget your word. Now notice what he's saying here. He's recognizing that he has a responsibility to make it happen. This is is going to the gym. You don't get a workout in until you get out of your chair and go to the gym. And you have to get yourself out of your chair and get to the gym. Nobody does it for you. You can say, oh, He help me get to the gym. Lord, would you move me to the gym today? I need to get in shape. <laughs> Keep praying, man. Keep praying. It'll work best if you just get up, put your clothes on and go, your gym clothes on and go work out. That's what he's saying here. There is a, there is a partnership with God. Yes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But God expects me to do my part. He's given us the ability to make choices. He's given us the ability to make decisions and priorities in our lives. You have to decide to do this. Yes, it's broccoli, not ice cream, but you have to do it. And he's recognizing that he has this duty and responsibility. I will do this. Notice that there is also, letter I, an attitude of humility and a desire for learning. There's an attitude of humility and a desire for learning. Look at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord... Teach me your statutes. The reason I think that that's a statement about humility is that he does not think he knows it all. He's asking God to teach him. I don't know everything about my Bible. Early this morning when I was reviewing and, and, and cleaning up my notes for this morning, I was thumbing through my Bible to get to somewhere and I saw the book of Amos. Sticks out in my mind here. I saw the book of Amos, and I thought to myself, man, I don't, I don't know when I read Amos. I don't know anything about Amos, the minor prophet. You know, we don't know a lot about our Bibles. We can think we know a lot, but that's arrogant, too. We need a heart of humility that, God, would you teach me? Would you give me this wholehearted, driving force in me that I would saturate my life with the word of God, because that brings transformation. That is how the young man purifies his way. Everybody's looking for gizmos and gadgets and little switch levers that make all the difference really easily. No, it's a lifelong pursuit of knowing God through his word. He has an attitude of humility and a desire for learning. There is a value to repeating and meditating on the Word of God. Look at verse 13 next. With my lips I declare all the rules or precepts of your mouth. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. So not only is meditation is this rolling around, it's, it's thinking and pondering, it's directing my thoughts to a very specific spot not just letting my daydreams go wherever they want to go it is specifically saying i will think about this and then take it apart and then let it be repeated out loud i've been making friendships with a friendship with a, an old gentleman down ridge road and i met him incidentally and we've kind of become buddies and i found out that his wife was in their living room in a bed there dying, and she has passed away since, and I used to stop by and pray with him, And and we kind of became buddies to the point that if I don't show up every so many days, he calls me and asks me if he's offended me. He goes, Pastor Rand, I, I haven't seen you here lately. And did I just say something and bother you? No, sir. And one of the things I've been doing with him, because I'm basically an unchurched fellow, he... I have been sharing some basic Bible verses with him. And so I stopped by Friday afternoon to see him. He's a sweet guy. He was glad to see me roll in. And I just sat in the chair in the living room with him. And we were talking about the fact that he's been spending some of the nights alone. But he said, you know, he said, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I remember some of those verses you told me. And so I taught him another verse. And we sat there and I taught him Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. God is, and I have to speak kind of loudly because he's half deaf. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of... And then he started saying, say, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present... And we said it about six or eight times over and over. We said it out loud. I will repeat your word, and I will meditate on your word. I was trying to get it in his head because he, his eyes are bad. He can't read. And I wanted him to kind of memorize the first, God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. It's a good verse for him to memorize, a good verse for him to even say out loud. If you're all alone in your car. You can say verses out loud. If you have them memorized, you can repeat them out loud. You can sing along to scripture songs. You can listen to the word of God being preached. I was cleaning my shop. I hadn't cleaned it for a long, long time, like four or five years probably to my shame My basement shop, and I was down there puttering Friday, and I clicked on my phone. To, and I listened to three sermons by Alistair Begg in a row while I was cleaning. I wanted, I wanted the Word of God to just be rolling around. I wanted to meditate on, on these concepts that he was preaching. I knew that I needed that on my day off. I just wanted the Word of God to refresh me. That's what he's talking about here. There's an attitude of humility and a desire for learning. There is a value to repeating and meditating upon the Word of God. And then the passage ends with a determined commitment to the word of God. And we've already emphasized that. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. He is determined to make this the priority. So what does this look like in everyday life? Let's conclude our final minutes here with some practical application. I was thinking at this point that we could go to Daniel chapter 1, for example. We're not going to. But you could do that in your own time. Daniel chapter 1 where Daniel and his three buddies Hananiah, Azariah, and know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their pagan names. We know them better than their Hebrew names. And they were taken far from home by Nebuchadnezzar up into Babylon and, and there they were in a, in a, a, a mind-bending reprogramming pro camp by the king To they were made into eunuchs and, and they were going to teach them in this school all of the knowledge of the Babylonians. And in that chapter, beginning with about verse 9, Daniel speaks up. He says, wait a minute. <laughs> You're not going to do this to me. And he challenges them. And, and if you look at... So what I've wanted to do is like, what does it take in everyday life to take the observations that we've just seen and put them into application, into functional, everyday pointers for how I'm going to live my life. So instead of using Daniel, let's even make it more relevant to us. Let's say we have a young man. We have a young man. There's young men in our audience here today, but this is a proverbial young man. So it's all of us, but let's say you have a young man and you're packing him up and it's time for him to go to college. And we're going to take him and we're going to drop him off at West Virginia university in Morgantown. All right. That's a pretty scary thing to do to an 18 year old. Alright? So you're concerned. You've been raising this kid. You've been raising this boy. You want him to follow Christ. You want him to be blessed by God. You've been trying to build into his life the Word of God. You've had him in Sunday school. You've had him in Mr. Tim's Junior Church. You've had him in Olympians and, and you've had him in Gopher Buddies and Youth Group and Quiz Team and he's been hiding the Word of God in his heart and now he's 18. Thinks he's an adult. Pack him up. Off he goes, you drop him on the curb, he moves into the dorm, and there he's going to live far from home on his own. Practically speaking, now, what does this look like? How is it that this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book when you're all alone living in a dorm in Morgantown, West Virginia? Well, let's just kind of try to think that through. Some of this is repetitious. We don't have to bog down. First of all, you got to know, according to the teaching here, that it begins with that boy's heart. And as a parent, you already know his heart. And you're either worried about his heart or you trust him because you know his heart. He says, with my whole heart, verse 10, I will seek you. And a young man who wants to walk in purity, getting dropped off at the curb at his dorm in Morgantown, if his whole heart is committed to living for God, he's got a chance. And so it's gonna begin with his heart, and he must have a guarded heart. And so, one of our goals as parents from day one is shaping the heart of our child, developing the conscience of my child, so that they're gonna make decisions that are pleasing to God, and they don't have hidden compartments in their heart that are festering with sin and desire for sin. Secondly, he has built strong convictions. He has strong convictions about the non-negotiable nature of God's word. Notice in verse 10b, it says, let me not wander from your commandments. These aren't suggestions. These aren't good ideas. They are commandments. And that's why Daniel looked at, he looked at his trainer and his teacher in Daniel chapter one, and he said, no, I'm not going to do this. We'll eat corn husks. We'll just eat vegetables. We're not going to go into this program the way you're presenting it because he knew that God had commanded him not to partake of some of the things that were forbidden in the Old Testament for him. These commandments are what guide him. And and so he has a conviction about these commandments. You know, I can remember, and it's not to say that a young man will ever get to a place where he's not tempted or where he's... He doesn't have... And there's, Sin is attractive. Sin has attractiveness to it. And I've referenced being in the milk and parlor at 5 o'clock in the morning with a 15, 16-year-old kid and these guys come in to work, all my pot-smoking hippie buddies that would work on the dairy farm with us and they would begin to tell of their exploits of the night before, indulging the flesh. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, wow. Then you have to think, no, God has forbidden that. God has commanded that we don't do that. And if God has com- commanded it, then I have a conviction I don't do that. Because I want to be all in. Thirdly, I want you to see that he has an awareness of his ability to fail. We've already talked about that under letter E. He's moving into his dorm and he's a little bit worried about himself. And he says to his pastor before he leaves, Would you pray for me? Because I'm going up there. I'm going to Paris Island. I'm taking this new job at a plant. And there's a bunch of rough people there. And I don't want to fail. I know that I'm capable of failing. And so he worries about himself and he's got people praying for him. Letter D, he cares deeply about what God thinks. He's got to care about what God thinks because his mom and dad can't see him anymore. This is Joseph, isn't it? In Genesis 39, you know the story well. There he is appointed in Potiphar's house. And everything that Potiphar owns is under his watch. The text says clearly in Genesis 39 that Joseph was a good-looking man. Potiphar had a beautiful wife and she liked to look at him and she wanted him. And she, it says that day after day she propositioned him and he refused her. And then one day he grabs a hold of her. Listen, there's no video cameras in the hallways. There was no one around. The place was empty. It was absolutely the most doable, enjoyable sin you could ever be a part of. And Joseph says two things. First of all, he says, my master... Speaking about her husband, has put everything in his house under my watch. In fact, to the degree that he doesn't even know what he has in his house. He leaves that up to me, except for one person, and that's you. I'm not in charge of you. And secondly, he says in Genesis 39 9b, and how could I ever do this sin in the eyes of God? You think nobody's watching? Joseph knew someone was watching. Proverbs 15.3 that I quote regularly, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You could add that to your little text box on the back, Proverbs 15.3. And so the eyes of the Lord are upon me, and I care about what God thinks. That is a very purifying mechanism in your life, that I care more about what God thinks than what anybody else thinks. Letter E, he has stored up Scripture in his heart and his mind, and it's ready for immediate use. He's got his multi-tool on. No matter what happens, he's prepared. We've taught our boys and girls from a young age many, many, many Bible verses so that it's stored up. He has disciplined his eyes. Verse 15, look what he says. I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. My eyes are fixed on God's ways, He's disciplined enough to keep his eyes from going. How's a young man going to keep his way pure? By keeping his eyes off the things that are impure. How are you going to do that? You're going to have to have these convictions, care about what God thinks. You're going to have to have a whole heart into this thing. You're going to have to memorize scripture. The word of God is what brings this conviction. It's not magic. It's a brutal fight that never ends. He does not tamper He does not tamper with or delight in that which is contrary to the will of God. Look what he says, verse 16. I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. And so he's delighting in God and his word. He is not delighting in that which is contrary to the will of God. And he has a deep-seated desire for the blessing of God and an understanding that sin will ruin blessing. That was Joseph too, wasn't it? It was not Samson, though, if you think about it. In Judges 14, what do you got with Samson? Samson had an attitude, I can handle this. I got this. I'm okay. Joseph had an attitude, I cannot handle this. I got to get out of here. Joseph said, Daniel said, I want the blessing of God. I'm not going to compromise these deep-seated convictions based upon the commandments of the word of god because if i do the blessing of god will be held back in my life i would think that one of the driving forces of the christian life is to say the blessing of god is upon my home the blessing of god is upon my heart the blessing of god is upon my children it's not magic it doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles it doesn't mean your kids might might not get sick But the blessing of God is real and palpable in your home. And you stand back in amazement and you say, look what God has done here. How he has blessed us. Why? Because the word of God has been your guard. The word of God has been your fence. The word of God has been the wrap around your house. How does a young man cleanse his way? The answer to the question, by guarding that way according to the word of God. That's it. That's it. It's not easy. It's a lifelong pursuit. And it's a very determined pursuit. May God use these reminders to help us as we launch into 2019 from Psalm 119. And as the world presses in, and as the flesh screams out at us, that we can live victoriously over sin. Let's stand together and close in prayer, please. And so, Father, we need your help. We're weak. We're easily distracted. We're easily detoured. We're easily defeated. So would you give us a determination like the psalmist speaks of here to seek hard after you, to care more about what you think than all the delights of any treasures of this earth? that we would begin to make the scriptures a priority and saturate our lives with scripture, that we would know you, know your heart, know your character, know Christ, conform to his image, because that's what the word of God teaches us, all about you and all about Christ and all about how you want us to live. So strengthen us for the young men in the audience here today. I pray that you would help them to recognize that their way is kept pure by your word and really no other way for all of us, Lord, that 2019 would be a year in the book, a year in the word of time of spiritual growth. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. 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 God bless you as you go. Dessert Fellowship at six o'clock, business meeting at 630, and we do need to stack the chairs. Sign up for the blood drive tomorrow on your way out and Wild Beast Feast tickets.